Welcome to today's show. Uh, we're talking about true angel encounter stories. Uh, well, I've certainly had a good number of them, and but I don't want to just share my stories. I mean, you can get my book and read my stories, but I will share a few of them with you. And I think it's uh, I think it's important to share these stories. I love it when people write about it, talk about it, what's happened to them, especially when it's people who consider themselves to be skeptics. And they didn't even necessarily believe in angels, but something happens that's just so incredible that there's no other way to explain it. There's just nothing else out there when, uh, when there's no reasonable explanation. And I'm going to start with one of my own. This happened when I was 16, living in Prescott, Arizona, just over the mountain range. And I, my parents had gone out, they were out of the country on a vacation, and I was left in charge of my four younger siblings. And I wasn't supposed to drive anywhere. So of course, I drove somewhere, you know, I was 16, my judgment was less than stellar. And it was a party that was out at a place called Government Canyon, which back in the 70s, that was dirt roads, very few homes, and there's very steep drop offs on some of those roads. And and I was driving my dad's truck. I had my sister, one of my sisters, my boyfriend and his brother were in the cab with me. And then the rest of my siblings were in the bed of the truck. And I was following somebody to this party and I didn't want to get lost. And the roads were, like I said, dirt roads and they were going pretty fast and we were sliding a little bit. And it was making me really nervous because um, that was my first year of doing a lot of driving. So I wasn't the greatest. And it just wasn't safe driving conditions on those roads. And I knew that, but I was 16. You know, I, that's all I can say. So I was trying to keep up with the vehicle in front of me and they went around a curve and it curved to the left. And I remember this vividly because it was a horrific moment in my life. The wheels on the, the tires on the right side of the truck both slid off the road surface and we started to tilt I felt that tilt. And I, the first thing I thought was, oh my God, I just killed all of us. I just killed everybody. And just as it started to tilt a little more, suddenly we were lifted up. We're on the road. We're rocketing up to the left. And there happened, happened to be a, a road there that was a dirt road with rocks in it. And so it was not, you know, not paved, not a nice road surface. And, and it was a rough ride up there, but it stopped us and we hit a rock and I remember just sitting there, um, what had happened during that moment that the truck lifted back up and went back onto the road surface was the whole cab of the truck filled with angelic light. And I felt angels just like packed so much angel energy into that cab of that truck that it was incredible. And, and they just took over and just drove that, they got back, lifted it on the road and rocketed it to the left. They knew there was a road there. I didn't. And I just sat there shaking. The interesting thing about this, like that, that was one of the most horrific moments of my life because, you know, I almost killed all these kids and, and my boyfriend and his younger brother, because it was a very steep drop off on the other side. It was not going to be good. And I sat there shaking. I felt the angels staying around me, comforting me, trying to calm me down. Uh, to this day, I don't speed. <laughs> to this 
say. People tease me. People in my family are like, oh my gosh, you're going to be the last one here, aren't you? Because you're going to be driving the speed limit. And I do. And if the road conditions aren't safe, I slow down because that moment stays in my memory. You know, that, that was a terrible close call. But interestingly, my siblings don't really remember it. Either they don't realize that the, the tires went off the road. I don't know if they were just laughing, talking, not paying attention, or if their memories were wiped mercifully so they don't have that awful memory. And in that case, I know it's just a lesson for me and it worked because <laughs> I don't drive crazy. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't exceed the speed limit. I don't, you know, go outside of safe driving conditions. But it's interesting to me that my siblings don't remember it. And and frankly, I'm glad that they don't. I really don't want them to remember that. Um, Somebody asked me when I first brought the story out into the public and on another show I have, and, and they said, what did your parents say? And I said, well, nothing for a long time because I didn't tell them. I was scared. But my dad knew because the bug guard, a little like a big plexiglass piece on the front of his truck was cracked. And that happened when the truck came to a stop against the rock. It's the only damage to his vehicle. So he knew I drove it. I finally confessed when I was in my early 30s. And they just were like, yeah, we know, we know. So um, that was a little amusing, but when I was trying to tell them about what happened, I think that they just didn't believe me or weren't ready to hear that. Like, um, then that's okay. But I know, I know it, (laughs) you know, I, it I guess it was for my benefit, but it was a very powerful moment. And when something like this happens, there is just no doubt in your mind, you know, that something, something supernatural, something extraordinary has happened. And I'm going to go back even further. I was an adventurous little thing. When I was five, we were camping in Maryland in the woods. And I asked my mom, could I go for a walk? And she said, as long as you don't cross the street, even back then I was quite literal. And so I started walking and I didn't cross the street. Well, the next thing, you know, it's getting to be dark and there's no campers or campground in sight. And I'm standing at the side of this road by myself as at the verge of darkness and it's starting to rain, it's getting cold. And I was crying and I I remember um, just not being sure what I should do, if somebody would find me or if I should just stay there or go back, try to go back. I wasn't thinking very logically. But I did see some like a cool porcupine came by really close to me and just huge and it was really cool memory. But just at the time that I was going into a state of hopelessness, like despair, the station wagon pulls up and in the car, there's a man and he asked me if I'm okay. And I crying, I said, no, I'm lost. And he opened the back seat of his car. And of course, I had been taught you don't get into a car with strangers. You don't talk to strangers. That was ingrained in me. But when he opened the back door, there was a dog on the back seat. And that was interesting to me. But more important, the back seat was filled with angels. And they were sitting there and they were like beckoning me, come in. And I knew if the angels were in there and, and saying it's okay, it was okay. 
And it was. And I got in, he took me, all I could tell him was we have a blue tent and there's a water spigot next to our campsite, you know, but the easy part was there was a bunch of um, police and crowds of people gathered and getting ready to organize a search. So it was very easy to find my campsite. I was fine. I was returned before it got completely dark and the man just disappeared. And I think that that, I don't think he was an angel. I think the angels just needed to let me know it's okay to get in that car, that it was okay. That man was safe and he was going to take me back to my family. And he did. And that, that was um, a powerful experience that sticks in my mind too. It's not the only time I got lost, but that's for another time. <laughs> I just tend to get lost. What can I say? Here's one that's much later in life. And I call this the big dream. So I was in this relationship with a very toxic person who had addictions and um, just not a healthy person. And I could feel my boyfriend pulling away from me emotionally that his addiction had really escalated dramatically. And I found myself torn between trying to stay and help him, my light worker self wanting to help the struggling person who had some good qualities or save, you know, get out of it and have a happier life for myself. And that's the usual light worker dilemma. You know, we can really get ourselves into these codependent relationships because we want to help these people. But here's a good story for you. Maybe it'll help you if you're one of those people. Every single day and night during that time, I asked my angels to give me a clear sign of what I needed to do regarding this relationship. Four months went by. Four months I was on that blade of should I stay, should I go? I knew that they were going to respond, but by then I, I knew perfectly well that when angels respond, it's rarely immediately sometimes, but you know they're going to respond when they respond. And so I just kept asking the same question. My mind was saying, go, you know, this isn't logical, but my heart was reluctant. So one night I had this incredibly vivid dream and in the dream, I'm lying in my bed and the same side of the bed I sleep in my room was my room. And I had all these, all my angels, I recognized them were sitting around me. One couple were sitting on the side outside of the bed. Some were like on the inside of the bed. They were holding my hands and stroking my shoulders. And one was doing like this on my face and just really comforting and lovely and gentle. And my master guide, Sir Marius says, you have to leave to save yourself. And I felt that, oh my gosh, even when I say it now, I felt that so deep into my heart. Like, uh, I know that's the truth. I know it's the truth. This, this is killing me emotionally, physically. Uh, spiritually on every level, just making it hard to go on. And after I woke up immediately from that, and I was crying when I woke up, I was crying and I knew the truth. And, and I realized, okay, when your angels tell you you have to go to save yourself, you better listen. <laughs> There's been times in my life that I went rogue and, and went against my angel's guidance and it never went well. So why not listen now? How about I do myself a favor and get my life back on track, get my health back. 
get happy again, find joy. So I did. And I have to say, like when they were with me there, like again, that golden glow from their, their light was around me. And when angels are gathered around you like that, like you just feel this deep sense of love and peace, uh, contentment, like it's just the most lovely thing. It feels like what it feels like on the other side. They just bring some of that with them from the celestial realm and surround you with it. So when you have an angel encounter, it's every bit as much as what you see, what you hear, what you feel, just like angelic communications that give you the knowledge of what's happening. Um, I have a lot of powerful dreams. I have dreams that are so extra vivid. All my dreams are vivid, but some are extra vivid. And I know those are important. And this was one that was really important for me. Like I just needed to hear that from my angels. So another one, I'm reminding myself by looking at the book, this one was like a, a warning. This was a really hard experience. I was working in a psychiatric hospital and I was, I was um, in charge of the step-down unit. So they'd come out of the inpatient unit and come to my step-down units, which had four different levels. And my office was in one of those. I had hired these two guys to work at the two men to work at my facility the, the first step down one. And they were overqualified educationally. And I, I don't, I'm not going to discriminate against that. They seemed like they were going to be great. And I was so overworked at that time and so tired that I think I wasn't tuning in like I normally do. I probably would have felt something mm, just not quite right and gone with that. But I hired them. And pretty soon into it, these two were uh, conspiratorial would be the best way to put it. Like they were always whispering to each other and I'd walk in the room and they'd stop talking. And, and then that's all, you know, one thing, but there was a young girl who was sent from the inpatient unit to the step-down unit. And she started acting really strange. And my psychic antenna went up and I felt like, Oh, something's really going on here. And I was hearing my angels, like they were the ones telling me like, heads up, heads up here. But I just wasn't tuning in because I was working on godly hours and it was very stressful. So I just remember having this really strong um, feeling like these two are very disrespectful toward me for no apparent reason. I had other male staff and everything was fine, but these two were real disrespectful. And I remember talking to my supervisor about it and knowing she couldn't do anything about it, but I wanted her to be aware of the situation. And then shortly after that, they were overly attentive to that young female patient who had been admitted. And at first they were only talking to her a lot and that's okay because that's part of the job is talking to the patients and helping them cope with their feelings. But I began to pick up this undercurrent and it wasn't clear yet, but my angels kept drawing my attention to this situation. No matter how busy I was, they kept bringing my attention to it. And I was really uncomfortable with it. So she got discharged from my unit and I heard these two talking about seeing her at her home. That's a big no-no. <laughs> you just don't go to clients' homes socially. You don't go to patients' homes like that. 
I talked to them about it and they denied saying it, but I clearly heard them. And from that moment on, they were more hostile toward me and more conspiratorial. And my angels went on just overdrive with this whole thing. So I talked to my supervisor again about it. I had no proof. I remember she said, what's your proof for this? And I just sat there and I'm like, I've, I realized in that second, I'm like, oh God, you know, this is all psychic and angels. How do I say that, you know, in a psychiatric setting, you know, oh, so I just kind of went, I just have a strong feeling. There's nothing she could do about that. So I told those two, you're, you're not to have any further contact with this female patient at all. You know, don't go to her home. Don't call her. Don't seek her out. That's not going to be okay. And they agreed, but they were resentful, hostile. A few days later, I heard this female patient's in the inpatient unit again, and it was my job to go visit her in prep for her coming to my unit. So as I'm going in the inpatient unit, who should come out but these two guys? There's no reason for them to be there. And I inquired and found out they had been visiting that female patient. They were really just awful about it, just like yelling at me, just horrible, horrible people, no repentance whatsoever. So I, I was very angry, very angry and concerned for this girl. And I told them to leave. I'd speak with them later. And instead they just were arguing with me and they made it clear that they had no intention to stop seeing this patient. The director was also concerned about their actions, but said they couldn't take disciplinary action because there's no proof they'd done anything beyond seeing her in the inpatient unit. So my angels weren't on top of this. You know, they're like, oh no. And I knew like psychically I could feel it. Oh no, 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 there's more. They were telling me that those two men were sexually abusing this female patient on some level. And I tried to talk to the patient. She was afraid to talk about it. She was clearly afraid. The men continued to deny everything. And my angels were just like adamant that this was happening. So those two men filed a complaint against me with human resources saying that I had issues with men. And even though my other male staff came forward and said, she does not, she is, treats us exactly the same as the women. She's great. She's easy, you know, supervisor, very clear, professional. No, those men in the upper management, let them write, they went ahead and wrote me up for discriminatory behavior towards men, which was just these men turning the tables so that protecting themselves from the truth. And they just, the up, men in upper management weren't listening at all. So my angels told me that nothing was going to change there and I needed to leave that. And it was made me sad. I'd been there seven and a half years, which was a dinosaur in the psychiatric world. I left to save myself. Uh, other managers were dropping like flies, uh, brain aneurysms and all kinds of stress-induced deaths. So I left and it wasn't very long after that, that there was a story in the paper and it was about a female patient in one of the step-down units who had been abused by two male staff sexually. And I thought, okay, all right. So clearly my angels knew exactly my intuition was right on track. Uh, they did take action against them then, but no one ever came back to me and said, oh, we're so sorry. Or 
you know, oh, I want to apologize because you tried to give us a heads up. Nope. But at least I, I had the peace of mind that the situation was stopped because, you know, I have a lot of sexual abuse in my past and I have a very, um, very sensitive alert for that. And I am never going to be one to just let that happen to someone. So, you know, sometimes you just have to go with your gut instinct. And if you're hearing that, those angelic messages in your head saying, there's something going on here, you need to take action, pay attention. You really need to do it. You need to stop what you're doing and put some focus on that. You know, people all over the world have reported encounters with beings. They appear to bring important messages. They lend much needed assistance. They can save them and then vanish without a trace. Could they be angels? Of course, yes. I think some of the most uplifting stories are where people really feel like it was something miraculous. And I feel like that about that story about the, the truck almost tipping over over a, a very high drop off. So when people have those encounters, sometimes it, sometimes it opens them up to acceptance of angels. Sometimes it begins their spiritual journey, their spiritual awakening. It's very hard to ignore such a miraculous event. I think that angels can come in many forms. I think the way that they help us can come in many forms. I want to share some of these stories. These are not my personal stories, but I found these on a website called liveabout.com. And it's a post written by Stephen Wagner. And it was some really good stories. And I think it shows the, the different variety that these stories can happen, the way these encounters can happen. So a woman that he identifies as Jackie B., believes that her guardian angel came to her aid on two occasions and helped her avoid serious injury. Her testimony says she actually physically felt and heard the protective force of her guardian angel. Both encounters happened when she was a child in kindergarten. The first experience took place at a popular sledding hill where Jackie was enjoying the day with her family. This young girl decided to try sledding down the steepest part of the hill. She closed her eyes and started down. And she says, I apparently hit someone going down and I was spinning out of control. I was heading for the metal guardrail and I didn't know what to do. I suddenly felt something push my chest down. I came within less than a half inch of the rail, but didn't hit it. I could have lost my nose. Her second experience occurred during her birthday celebration at school. She had run across the playground to place her crown on a bench, and while running back to her friends, three boys tripped her. The playground was filled with metal objects and wood chips, and Jackie went flying, and something hit her just below the eye. But she felt something pull her back when she fell, and she says the teacher said that they sort of saw me fly forward, then fly backward at the same time. As they hurried me to the nurse's office, she heard an unfamiliar voice telling her, don't worry, I'm here. God doesn't want anything to happen to his baby. That gives me chills just hearing it so beautiful. I bet you she kept a close connection with angels through the rest of her life. This is a story, um, and I, I like this one because so many angel experiences do happen in a hospital setting. And it may not be so hard to understand why when we remind ourselves that hospitals are places of sharply focused emotions, prayers, and hope. 
So a woman entered the hospital in 1994 with acute pain. She had a fibroid tumor the size of a grapefruit in her uterus. Her surgery was successful, but more complicated, and her troubles weren't over. She recalls that she was in horrible pain. She had an allergic reaction to the morphine she was given, and the doctors tried to counteract it with other medications. This made a bad experience even worse. She had just had a major surgery, and now she was dealing with the pain of an acute drug reaction. After receiving more pain medication, she was able to sleep for a few hours. She said, I awoke in the middle of the night. According to the wall clock, it was 2.45. I heard someone speaking and realized someone was at my bedside. It was a young woman with short brown hair and wearing a white hospital staff uniform. She was sitting and reading aloud from the Bible. And I said to her, am I all right? Why are you here with me? The woman visiting stopped reading, but did not look up. She simply said, I was sent here to make sure you'd be all right. You were going to be fine. Now you should get some rest and go back to sleep. She began to read again, and this woman drifted back to sleep. And the next morning, she explained the experience to her doctor, who checked and said no staff had visited her overnight. She asked all of the nurses, and no one knew of this visitor. To this day, she says, I believe that I was visited by my guardian angel that night. She was sent to comfort me and assure me that I would be okay. Coincidentally, the time on the clock that night, 2.45 a.m., is the exact time recorded on my birth certificate that I was born. I don't know. May it be important. Here's another one. I, th I think sometimes uh, angels really come to us when we're in the depths of despair. I've talked about on an earlier episode, the dark night of the soul, and that is the depths of despair. So when you're in a place like that emotionally is a time you're more likely to have a visitation from an angel. So um, sometimes that despair can lead people to thoughts of suicide. This is a story about Dean. He experienced that kind of pain as he was going through a divorce at the age of 26. The thought of being apart from his two young daughters was almost more than he could bear. But on one night of stormy darkness, Dean was given renewed, renewed hope. At the time, he was working as a derrickman on a drill rig. And that night, he was having serious thoughts of taking his life as he looked down from the 128-foot derrick. He said, my family and I have strong beliefs in Jesus, but it was hard not to contemplate suicide. In the worst thunderstorm I'd ever seen, I climbed the derrick to take my position to pull pipe out of the hole we were drilling. His co-workers urged him not to climb the derrick, saying they'd rather have downtime than risk someone's life. Dean ignored this and began to climb. He says, lightning flashed all around me. Thunder boomed. I cried to God to take me. If I couldn't have my family, I didn't want to live but I couldn't take my own life in suicide. God spared me. I don't know how I survived that night, but I did. A couple of nights later, a couple of weeks later, rather, he bought a small Bible and traveled to the Peace River Hills where his family had lived for so long. He sat down on top of one of the green hills and began to read. He had such a warm feeling enter into him as the sun parted through the clouds and shone on him. It was raining all around him, but he was dry and warm in his small spot on top of that hill. 
Dean says that these moments changed his life for the better. He met his new wife and fell in love. They started a family together that includes his two daughters. He says, thank you, Lord Jesus and the angels you sent that day to touch my soul. So sometimes it is just like a very quick positive change in your mood, your outlook, how you see people, how you see life. And here's another lovely story. I love, I've loved angel stories since I was a young girl, stayed at my grandma's house in Alabama. And the only thing she had to read was Guidepost magazine. And I have always devoured books, anything I could read. And my favorite thing in there, they had pictures of clouds that look like angels and a story about angels. And so that, that uh, was my first introduction to other people's experiences. So some people believe that before we are born, when our consciousness or spirit resides on the other side, we are given information about the life we are about to be born into. Some say we even choose our life. Not many people can claim that they remember this pre-birth experience, the kind of a experience or existence, but Gary says that he does. In fact, even in his middle-aged years, Gary says he can recall some details of a conversation he had with an angel before he was born. He said, I was bodiless, but aware that I was in an area that was darkened and I was alone except for the entity that was speaking to me. I was at the bottom of a stairway type structure and was looking up the stairs, but not seeing the one speaking to me. I was very warm and comfortable, but aware and feeling trepidation, trepidation of what I was about to embark on. He says, this entity was speaking to me and giving me a brief description of how my life would be. I asked for more information, but it was refused. I was basically told that my life would not be a hard life, but would lack any luxuries and that I would experience great difficulties at a relatively early age. It seems there were a few other small details, but I no longer can remember it quite as easily as I once did when I was younger. It appears that the information was correct as I'm now disabled and in poor health. I know other people. I, I work with someone who remembers something from before they were born. And I've had clients who had very strong memories and it kind of freaked them out because they'd never met anybody else. They didn't even know that happened, but they had that memory. So it is possible. And these new children coming in, these, these uh, new generations, rainbow kids, wow, they, they seem to have all kinds of memories most of us older do not have. I want to talk a story, tell you a story about the angel nurse. In 1998, a guy named Luke was diagnosed with bone cancer at the tender age of eight. As sometimes happens, he came down with an infection, which meant he had to go to the hospital. He was there for about two weeks, and that's when something remarkable happened. One evening, Luke's mother was sitting at his bedside, quietly praying as he slept. A nurse came into the room to check Luke's temperature, but his mother noted something rather peculiar about her. And after I take this sip, you're going to hear the rest. It's dry and getting warm here in Arizona. Bear with me. The nurse was wearing an old-fashioned uniform of the type that would have been common 30 years earlier in the 60s. The nurse noticed that Luke's mother had a Bible by the side of his bed. She said that she was a Christian too, and she said she would pray for Luke's healing. 
Luke's family had never seen this odd nurse before, but, and they never saw her again in Luke's remaining time at the hospital. It came out of the hospital. He came out of the hospital fully healed of his infection. Remarkably, he's now completely free of cancer. He said, my mom believes this nurse could have been a guardian angel coming down to give my mom some hope. If she wasn't an angel, why would she be wearing 1960s old-fashioned nurse clothing? Well, I can think of another reason, but that's a different topic, a different day. So here's a story called Beautiful Strange UFO or Angel. And I want to tell you something like uh, this, is a, this is a topic that's discussed frequently with other angel communicator friends of mine who do this professionally. Uh, we've all been visited by what we call ultra terrestrials, which are beings not from this planet, but they look a lot like angels. They have the same frequency as angels. They have the same intentions as angels. So I can see why they'd be confused, whether it's something paranormal or an angel. Some researchers think there might be a connection between UFOs and angel sightings. They say the angels and heavenly figures encountered in the Bible might actually have been extraterrestrials. After his experience in the 1980s with the most beautiful thing he ever saw, Lewis might agree with that assessment. It was a Saturday morning in Mariposa, California, and Lewis had to work that day. The air was fresh from a cool rain the night before, and the morning sky was bright with a few scattered clouds. He said, I was heading out to my car in the back parking lot of the apartment complex where I lived when I noticed someone kneeling next to my car. This person saw me and quickly stood up holding a crowbar. The young man was quite obviously startled by Lewis's interruption, and although Lewis sensed that boy was up to no good, it hadn't yet hit him what he was doing. Then Lewis looked through the passenger window of his car and saw that the steering wheel column had been stripped of its cover. He realized that the young man was trying to steal his car. I asked him what the hell he was doing. He gave me a lame story about his friend's car being stolen last night and my car looked like his friend's and so on. I didn't want to hear it. I told him I was going to call the police, which I did on my cell phone. Lewis dialed 911 and gave the dispatcher the address. He told the would-be thief that the police were on their way and warned him not to leave. The boy said he would wait for the police, but Lewis could tell he was just waiting for the right moment to make a run for it. If he did, I wasn't going to try to stop him because his adrenaline was pumping and he had that crowbar. As Lewis was grilling the young man trying to detain him, he began to notice three rather large clouds in a single file formation that were almost overhead. Then I saw it, he says, a shiny object exiting from the first cloud and entering the next and then coming out of that one. It was shiny, like brightly polished chrome and moving at a good speed. I couldn't make out the shape. By this time, Lewis was so distracted by the UFO that the punk saw his chance and took off. That's when the object entered the last cloud. And from there, it was nothing but open sky. When it emerged, my life changed, Lewis says. He says there against the richness of the blue sky was a silvery shape that seemed to have arms and legs. It was so beautiful to look at. At the same time, it had the appearance of metal. It looked like some kind of ship with a strange design. The best way I can describe it is it looked like silverware in the design of the stick man children draw. It was huge, moving fast, and made no noise. 
As it sailed overhead, some of the limbs would move up and down, giving the impression of being alive, a living entity. It made a couple of rolls, reflecting the sun in every direction, just beautiful. Oh my God, beautiful. As it started to fade away from my view, I found myself short of breath and with tears running down my cheeks. It had that much of effect on me. I began thinking, maybe that's what an angel looks like. Maybe not. Uh, that is not what an angel looks like, but maybe that was connected to angels in some way. I've been seeing and hearing and feeling angels my whole life. Doesn't mean I know everything about them. Who does? Here's another story. It was late afternoon and Ellie was outside gathering the family laundry from the clothesline. There was a sudden small willy-willy, which is an Australian term for a swirling wind funnel of dust and leaves. As it raced past me, I saw something blue whirling in the middle of the dust and leaves and managed to grab hold of it. I was surprised and very pleased to see it was a $10 note. A few days later, Ellie was at the back of the yard checking on her garden tomatoes when she spotted something lying in the grass. She was astonished to find it was a $20 note. Not long afterward, in another part of the garden, she found a $5 note and yet another $20 note nestled among the leaves of the daylilies. She says, by this time, I told my family of the angel money. None of them had put money there, not with the possibility of it blowing away in the often high winds of summer. All was quiet for a few days. Then one of my sons came in with an ear-to-ear -ear grin and a $20 note that he had just found on top of the compost heap. Most of us would say that this is not angel money at all, but money that someone had lost that had simply blown into Ellie's yard. But Ellie's not quite convinced of that explanation. That's because a week or so later, she had another amazing find, this time in her house. She says, I was cleaning out the bed and pulled out a pair of slippers, and there nestled in the toe of one, like a little grace note, was a 50-cent coin. So sometimes, you know... Um, money like coins are associated with spirit visits but angels are really good about answering our prayers and hearing and knowing our needs and when we are really short of money when we need it desperately for something important they'll bring it to us and i've never had money show up in my yard like that that would be lovely bring it on angels but i have had it come to me in other very interesting ways so here's one called Push to Safety by an Angel. Back in 1980, Deb was a single mother with two infants living in San Bernardino County, California. She occasionally needed a reliable babysitter. Fortunately, her parents lived only about 30 miles away in Alta Loma. Deb would usually drop off the children at her parents' house, go do what she needed to do, then pick them up in the evening. One night, Deb had retrieved her babies from her parents' place and was heading home. It was relatively late, about 11.30 p.m. Deb was driving her old clunker, and among the car's many deficiencies, the gas gauge was broken, requiring her to guess when the thing needed fuel. Occasionally, her guessing was off. We've all been there, haven't we? Halfway home, she says the car started to putter, and she realized she was on empty, I pulled off the first off-ramp I could, and it just happened to be the one that was slightly uphill. Almost at the top of the exit, my car died, and there was absolutely nothing around except empty fields and distant lights at a truck stop about a quarter of a mile down the road. With no cars in sight, Deb didn't know what to do. 
The kids were asleep and walking miles while carrying two kids in the middle of the night. That's just not a good option. This was before cell phones, so she could not call for help. She said, I put my head on the steering wheel while saying a short and panicky prayer. I hadn't even finished when I heard a few taps on my window. When she looked up, she saw a clean-cut young man standing there who Deb estimated to be about 21 years old. He motioned for her to roll down her window. She says, I remember I was surprised, but I wasn't even the slightest bit afraid, even though I normally would have been terrified. The young man was dressed well and had a faint smell of soap. He didn't ask if she needed help. Instead, he told her to put her car in neutral and he would help her over that last small hill toward a place where she could get gas. She said, I thanked him and followed his instructions. The car started moving. I steered it toward the lights of the truck stop and turned around to yell thank you again to him. She says he was so nice. The car kept moving, but the young man was nowhere in sight. I mean, that area was completely remote. There was absolutely nowhere he could have gone that quickly, even if there was somewhere to go. I don't even know where he came from to begin with. Deb's car continued to roll down the hill until it reached the truck stop. She was able to get the gas she needed, and the kids remained sound asleep. She said, I've always trusted in God to take care of us, but in relating that story many times to my children, who are now 30 and 32, they know for a fact that angels do exist and are sent to us if we just believe. She said, I always thought it was so amazing that we were sent someone who I would trust instinctively without question. Since that incident, I've come to believe that we probably encounter angels all the time and take for granted who they really are. I think they come in all shapes and sizes, young and old, and sometimes when we least expect them. It's so true. You know, I've, I've heard stories from many, many people who had encounters with people who they believe were actually angels who mysteriously just disappeared in a flash. So that is actually not uncommon. And um, I thought of another story I do want to share with you in the little few minutes we have left. And that was one that saved my life. There's several, but this is one. So I was in my 20s, my early 20s, living in Colorado. And I was in an unhealthy marriage with somebody. He was a sociopath. That's he really was. So it was very hard. I had a, a little baby and I was just not, I just was not in a good place at all. I felt so hopeless because he was making it impossible for me to leave or to save money. He kept me at the house. I had no car. You know, it just, it just felt awful. Like it was never going to get better. And I was so upset. And I remember I was wearing this beautiful outfit. My mother had made me that was like a, a skirt that went below the knees and a matching top that it was buttoned up the front with peplum and it was ivory colored. So it's not something you should be wearing out where I was, but I went to the nearby Colorado national monument and I had on heels and I was all dressed for something we were going to. And I was just so upset and I needed to walk there. I needed to get out in nature by myself. And I was walking fast along the edge of the Colorado National Monument. And all of a sudden it's raining, it's raining. Did I mention that? Yeah, I'm out in a dress, no coat, cold and raining. I'm walking along the edge and all of a sudden the soil under my feet dissolved and I'm falling off the edge of this cliff. And I grabbed and I, I found this root. There's a root 
I'm hanging on the root of the scrub tree, dangling over this, this edge. And there's nobody there because it's a rainy day and no one else is nutty enough to be there on a rainy day. No one answers my calls. I'm screaming for help. The next thing I know, I felt something under my feet, my heels like pushing up. And I was just suddenly standing up on the path again, a few feet in like, like what, what just happened here? You know, but I knew, um, I knew that I'd been saved and, and I knew it wasn't my time. It, I knew that, that you don't pass when it's not your time. So, you know, that's something to know if people will sometimes ask me when they come see me for a session, was it my brother's time? Was it my husband's, my mother's time? If they passed away, it was their time. So that's just one instance where I could have easily died. And my angels are like, nope, you've got a lot of work to do. And it really was kind of a turning point for me too, because I thought if the angels are going to save me, then I have a life worth saving. I have a better life ahead. And I really did. I did, you know, thank, thank God for sending the angels to push me up at that time and get me back home and help me find some hope in my heart and strength to get out of that type of relationship. And I hope that the stories today maybe make you realize you yourself had an angel encounter that you didn't realize or realize it could happen to you. It can happen to anybody. Angels are around us all the time and they want to help us. They so badly want to be of help to us. So you find yourself in a situation where you need help. Do not hesitate to just cry out, angels, help me now. They'll do it. So I want to say a quick hello to my fans in Thailand. I'm delighted to have you listening to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. And join me next Sunday. The topic is forgiving the unforgivable. And in the meantime, may your angels surround you. May your angels protect you every moment, every day of your life. Bye.